Hello and welcome to Straight Outta Cobham, a brand new weekly podcast from The Athletic breaking down all things Chelsea FC. From match reviews and previews to all the big news and happenings from SW6, plus magical memories and more, this is the go-to destination for those with blue blood. My name's Matt Davis-Adams. I'm a commentator and podcaster. I'm currently in my ninth season of covering every Chelsea first team game for Chelsea TV. I also follow the academy and women's teams. Joining me each week will be the Athletics' crack team of Chelsea experts. This week we're covering Saturday's trip to Manchester and the upcoming meeting in the Mestaya. We'll also look back on Frank Lampard's time as a Manchester City player. We catch up with how the other Chelsea teams fared this past weekend and we might even mention the new Spurs manager. You may recall he has a history with Chelsea. You can get this podcast and many more, including David Ornstein and Mark Chapman's brand new show, which will delve deep into football's biggest stories by subscribing now at theathletic.com. You can even get a 40% discount right now by using the promo code UKPOD. First up, he looks a lot like former Chelsea Academy member and current England midfielder Declan Rice. More pertinently, he's covered Chelsea for a variety of outlets for the past four years. A very warm welcome to Liam Toomey. Thanks, Matt. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. Next up, a veritable veteran of the Stamford Bridge beat. He first followed Chelsea professionally in 2007. It's fair to say he's seen some things since then. Hello, Dom Fifield. Hello, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. And finally, joining Dom and Liam, another ace reporter who knows how to navigate his way through the oft-choppy waters of Stamford Bridge, as well as the legendary press room buffet. His love, question mark, affair with Chelsea stretches all the way back to the turn of the century. It's Simon Johnson. Greetings, Matt. Thanks for that. Yeah, I had to get a buffet, <laughs> press buffet thing in there. What, yes, you know, you, of course. You, you just so happen to be you. Um, OK, now everybody knows one another. <laughs> Shall we crack on? Let's do it. So we're recording this week's show a couple of days after Saturday's defeat against Manchester City at the Etihad Stadium. Plenty of positives, but no points for Chelsea to take from the game. Uh, Simon, you've written a piece for The Athletic about how Frank Lampard has yet to get the better of one of his big six managerial adversaries. Is this a big issue as far as you're concerned at this stage of his career? Yes, I think it is, certainly for him. Um, and, and whilst he spoke positively, as you'd expect in any sort of post-match presser that he did, um, you could tell just watching him as I did from, from the confines of the press box that he was frustrated. And you could tell even before the game, actually, on the eve, on the eve of the game in the, in the press conference on the Friday at Cobham, that... He, he wants more from this team. Like everyone's praising them because of the youth and, and he's sort of saying that they're ahead of the ahead of schedule, which they are, and there's certainly a lot of positives. But the facts say that five games against the big teams and they've yet to win any of them. And I think that's the next thing that he wants to, the next box he wants to tick. Tom, there is a, a caveat to this, I think. Uh, the game at Old Travel on opening weekend, bit of a freak. Super Cup final went to penalties. Saturday's loss was mm. at the home of the champion. So it, it's not disastrous. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I don't know why he would get so wound up about this. I think a, most of Lampard's approach to date has been laced with realism. Losing to fellow members of the elite is what happens to a... To what is effectively a, a well, it's a young, it's a youthful, inexperienced team. I suppose that if we are talking caveats, we should probably acknowledge that he did go with a more experienced midfield. He had William in that team as well. Um, so, you know, I guess it's it's it wasn't the youngest of of teams that he has put out of late. But you know, that back line make mistakes, and they make mistakes against virtually every team. They come up against. I mean, James Tompkins missed an open goal for Crystal Palace at Stamford Bridge a couple of weeks ago. It's just that 
against a team like Manchester City, they will punish you. Um, that's just the way it is. Uh, those guys will get better. Tomori will, will cut out the mistakes. Kurt Zuma likewise. Rudiger will make a massive difference when he comes back in as well. I think there's so many positives there. I wouldn't get wound up by a defeat at the Champions. Much has been made of the fact that Chelsea have more possession than Manchester City, but but their profligacy cost them not for the first time this season. First half in particular, I think William, Tamori and Abraham all could have scored, and that is definitely an area for improvement. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, the first 20, 30 minutes, Chelsea were really, really good, but does anyone here watch Game of Thrones? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, uh, it felt like the the battle between the the mountain and the viper, where you've just got the little guy dancing around the big guy, narrowly avoiding absolute disaster, and that's what Jorginho and Kovacic were doing when Manchester City were pressing them high, putting them in really difficult positions. They were making every possible. <laughs> do, do, I'm just do, waiting do, to see how you get the analogy of someone getting their head crushed at the end of this. Yeah, they didn't quite get there. <laughs> They didn't quite, it's season three, isn't it? There's no spoilers at this stage. Um, yeah, they didn't. it wasn't quite a catastrophe, but you could see that the problems were going to come for Chelsea the first time they made a mistake. And the first time they did was De Bruyne's deflected goal, really. And I think the second half, the way that largely panned out, was actually a conscious ploy from Manchester City. They let Chelsea have the ball in their own half. They waited to press them into mistakes and, and tried to capitalise on it. And it maybe showed a little bit more flexibility on their part but it also showed that Chelsea may be a slightly less mature team at this stage that have a little bit further to go but also of course when you've got someone like Tammy Abraham up front you're maybe going to not be quite as clinical as you would otherwise be in Christian Pulisic as well these guys are going to have good days and bad days. Profligacy was a was an issue with for Abraham at Villa last season they he had a lot of chances to get his his goal tally up there I mean I know he got over 20 goals in the championship but he was missing a lot of chances as well so that, that, that will happen but that's an experience he's learning all the time I, I, I think the thing you have to bear in mind and this is this is why I sort of nosed in on Lampard is there's there's the standards that other people are setting for this Chelsea team and there's the st- standards that Lampard is setting for this Chelsea team mm. and I think that this is a guy who's a winner who never settled for, be, for being second best or, or settled for one season when he scored 20 goals he wanted to push for another 20 goals this is the guy that wants this Chelsea team, as well as they're playing, and, and my piece was in no way critical of him or, or Chelsea as such. As I said, I think they are ahead of schedule. But he wants more. He wants more from this team. And the thing is, in the five games, the same issues have come up each time. They're too easy to score against. They make sloppy mistakes. And they're, they're not as clinical as he wants them to be up front. And so he's constantly pushing them for more. And I don't have a problem with that. And I don't think any Chelsea fan should either. It's a good message to send, isn't it? Yeah. Not to be patting yourself on the back when, yeah, you've, when you've gone out on your shield against Man City. Um, and the message that we, that's been arriving from the top of the club since the start of the season is that Lampard will still be judged on results, still be judged on the silverware that he challenges for, just like any other manager. Because I think... Everyone at Chelsea is really, really wary of allowing the winning culture to slip while there's this kind of artificial bubble of the transfer ban and the transition with so many young players. They're keen to see these young players come through, but they have to continue operating at the same level and Lampard is of the same mind. Simon, you touched on team selection earlier. I spoke to, to Frank Lampard after the game and asked him about Mason Mount and the fact that he dropped him from the Premier League lineup for the first time this season. I think it, it was always obvious that he was going to go with Kovacic, Kante and Jorginho against City. But given that Pulisic had missed international duty with what we're told was a minor hip problem, 
Might have been better starting Mount, who, who almost scored after he came on. It, it was a bit of a 50-50, as, as Dom can testify, because <laughs> we, we had a little um, exchange ahead of the game trying to figure out the team. I, I think it would have been a tough call either way, because you've got to bear in mind, Mason Mount's had his injury problems as well lately, and he went away with England, whereas Pulisic, yes, he was carrying a hip problem, but he was able to stay behind at Cobham, uh, rehab properly, and and also you have to you have to factor in that he was the form player. I mean, Mason's had a tremendous start to uh, to his Chelsea career now that he's actually getting a, a time in the senior t- team. But Pulisic has been ahead of, uh, before the international break. He was the man in form. Um, so you could argue actually that Lampard went for the more aggressive option, the more attacking option, because there's no doubt about it in terms of who you'd prefer to have pressing from a left wing position you'd pick Mason Mount over Pulisic, but he went for the more adventurous one. I thought Pulisic, certainly in that first half an hour when Chelsea were playing well, he looked dangerous. But like a lot of the the attacking players, you could argue the same for William um, and Tammy Abraham, they they kind of did fade once those two goals went in and City began to sit a bit deeper. But um, yeah, I I think as as Lampard said to you, I think in the post-match interview you, you did with him, um, there's plenty of time for, for Mason Mount. Um, he's not worried about him at all. Um, he'll get plenty of game time. Mm. Last one on the City game. And we saw a rare substitution in football, I think, which is where you bring a full-back off. So Emerson came off, Reese James came on, Azpilicueta went to left-back. Dom, is that your preferred full-back scenario for Chelsea now? James right-back, Azpilicueta left-back? Possibly in games where they are going to come under serious threat. Uh, Reese James was excellent on his full Premier League debut for, for Chelsea prior to the international break. Um, he can only play right back. I mean, if you're going to play him at fullback, you play him at right back. And Azpilicueta's had success. He's been excellent at left back over the years as well. Um, so I, I can see there's more defensive stability to that, certainly ahead of... I mean, Emerson didn't have a good game Saturday. And Marcus Alonso, we all know, has his issues defensively. I mean, he's 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 great in that sort of wing back role that he can he can maraud forward, but 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 not so much when he's he's being tested. And City were clearly going to test both both fullbacks in that in that Chelsea team. Yeah, I, I like that. I, they've got to find a way of getting Reese James into that team regularly because he he he's up there with with Mason Mount as to what he can offer Chelsea. He's he's got all the the talent, the potential, and he's got the quality now. He needs to be in that team playing every week in the Premier League. And, you know, if that means that Cesar Spilicuetas goes over to left-back before, you know, on the, on the assumption that Chelsea's are more likely to bring in, regardless of the transfer ban, they're more likely to bring in a target like a, a Ben Chilwell who's been mentioned in, in the summer, if that is indeed feasible, uh, than, than in the mid-window if their ban is relaxed. Uh, so, yeah, they've got a ready-made option there with Spilicueta moving across. I actually felt that substitution served an attacking and a defensive purpose because Emerson was being targeted by City mm-hmm. pretty mercilessly. So you move Spilicueta there and shore things up. But at the same time, you get Reese James on the pitch, who's probably the best crosser in the Chelsea mm-hmm. squad. And uh, even though it didn't lead to a goal, I think you saw James did have enough time when he was on the pitch to actually cause City a little bit of panic in the in the final few minutes with some deliveries. I think the oh, sorry, Matt. The, the other thing I was going to say about Aspilicueta is, is whilst that there have been some critics out there among the Chelsea fan base about his form, he is one of the leaders, if not the leader of that dressing room. And I think if you take him off the pitch, um, you, you're going to miss out. So I, I just think, yeah, moving moving to left back, as Frank did with Reese James on on the right flank. I thought Chelsea did sort of get an element of control back once they did that. 
Um, they just didn't find a way to cut through City like they had in the first half an hour. Yeah, it's interesting that people write as Piliqueter off and convinced it's because he's over 30 rather than... <laughs> it's all, autopilot. Well, also, there's there's a feeling that oh, now Gary Cahill's gone, who's the next one that you know, we can sort of find faults in. And look, there's no doubt about it, as Piliqueter started the season in not the best form, um, but I think in the last few months he's been as uh, solid as ever and, and certainly his captaincy has also been, I think, key to helping these young players come on. Now, before Saturday's game, uh, Sam Lee wrote a piece for the website about the head-scratcher that was Frank Lampard's brief spell as a a Man City player. It's well worth the read if you haven't yet. Um, Liam, why did this move happen in the first place? Was it all Jose's fault? I think it's all still a little bit hazy, and I think Lampard allowed it to be that way. It's one of the few things that he's really fudged um, in in his career, particularly his later career, when you look at the the communication of it. Um, He... He wanted clearly to stay fit. He felt clearly that he had another season of Premier League football in him and he wanted that to be at Chelsea. That's the one thing he's been upfront about, that he is still not really okay with Mourinho phasing him out when he did. Um, But I think it was a surprise to a lot of Chelsea fans that he he allowed himself to be tethered to what was at at the time their only Premier League title rivals. Uh, and I think he, he scored about four or five goals that got City either a draw or a win in that first half of the season. He was the reason it was pretty close. Um, so it, I think at the time it, it it sat uneasily with Chelsea fans and it deserved to. Obviously the, the dust since has, has settled a bit, but uh, it yeah it certainly doesn't didn't reflect too well on him at the time. It's probably one of the few things that has been a little bit weird about his legacy. Whose celebration was more muted, Don? Lampard when he scored against Chelsea or Dennis Law in 1974 <laughs> with, that, with that back heel for City well, that against was, United? That actually relegated United, didn't it, the, the, effectively? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, look, they're both legends for those other clubs. Um, I watched back the, the Lampard, I clicked on it and on Sam's piece, actually, the... It is remarkable, isn't it? He just there is literally no, he doesn't want he doesn't want to be there. He always wants the ground to swallow him up as soon as he's converted. But look, the, the professional in him, part of him would have been celebrating, thinking I've I've made a bit of a a mark here. I've quite enjoyed that. Um, maybe you shouldn't have got rid of me quite so soon. I thought he looked quietly vindicated. Actually, <laughs> it was a good finish as well, wasn't yeah. it? Because it was an awkward sort of volley, wasn't it, to get to? But it was a, a lovely finish. Well, what was interesting. Um, Again, sort of obviously with this game coming up at the weekend, on the Friday he talked about it. He, he said, I wanted to see out my career at Chelsea. Um, but then he went on to say, but I really benefited from one, going to, to Man City, going to another club, seeing how another club operated, and also New York City. And he's actually said that's benefited now um, his coaching because he's sort of seen another way of working. And what was also interesting about the, the game itself is whilst he was clearly upset about how it went in the end the reception he got now it didn't mirror the that that he got at Chelsea obviously not but after the game he walked on the pitch clapped all four stands all the City fans applauded him there was lots of hugs and embraces with the City staff uh, that he knew of course City players that he knew of course and it, it was it was really telling that this is a guy who only spent one season at this club and yet he made a huge impact in fact I, I bumped into a few City fans um, after the game in a in a pub, um, and and over a few few beers, we were talking about and and they were going. He's an absolute legend. He was only there for one season, but we consider him a legend. And it was a bit baffling because you know he only scored a few goals. Um, of course, one against Chelsea, 
Um, but in such a short time, he made a massive impact. And, and I think that says a lot about Lampard. But I think you're right, Tom. I think uh, he was very much enjoying proving a point in the in the season he was there. And I think from what I've heard, Mourinho was very worried that Lampard might actually come back to haunt Chelsea in that tight race, particularly one when they move level on points after mm. that 5-3 defeat to Tottenham. Well, he famously said, didn't he, Mourinho, once you move to a rival, uh, the love has gone. We'd we better get round to talking about him. It won't have escaped your attention that he's the new Spurs manager. Started with a win at West Ham in his first game in charge. So Spurs nine points off Chelsea in fourth place. Can they make up that ground? They can, and suddenly Tottenham look a threat for the, the, the teams in the top four. Um, everybody who knows how Mourinho is, everybody seen Mourinho work, um, knows that, that he can have a, an amazing galvanising effect from the start when his mood is good, when his focus is, is set. Uh, once, you know, the players will love him. The ones, that he, the ones that he wants to be integral and pivotal, they will love working for him. Uh, the immediate signs are that that Deli Ali is going to be revived uh, under under Mourinho. That Harry Kane, all the little the body language between the two of them on on Saturday, it looked as if that 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 could work. That relationship. There's almost a sort of Didier Drogba throwback to the talismanic forward who can who can lead, lead the line for Spurs now. Um, I I suspect that Spurs will come very very strong. Now, yeah, that puts pressure on Chelsea. That puts pressure on on Leicester City, and if if Manchester City aren't, you know, they have to be more consistent than they've been so far, then there's an issue there as well. So, yeah, it's it's added another layer of intrigue to the Premier League. It, it's been fascinating. I was I was at West Ham on Saturday and just just watching his his body language and the way he is and and knowing how he was at Chelsea. There was, he was he was giving this sort of calm exterior. I'm I'm enjoying this. I'm the happy one, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It was good, but underneath it all, when those goals went in, the little punches of the air. That meant something for him to be back, and he, I think he'll look at that team. They're almost parallels with that Spurs team, and the and the team that he, he inherited at Chelsea back in two thousand and four. He'll be relishing working with them. Um, Liam, his relationship with the Chelsea supporters was was fractured already when he was at, at United. You think about the, the Judas won three titles and all that 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 we listened to. Uh, he said in twenty fifteen he'd never managed Spurs because of his relationship with Chelsea supporters. Is is that relationship now damaged irreparably? It, he'll never come back for a third spell, will he? It's in- incredibly hard to imagine him ever managing Chelsea again. Um, and I, I said at the time when, when the appointment was made, it's probably the only move Mourinho could have made that would have made Chelsea fans' feelings towards him even more complicated after the way things ended second time round, after managing United, who are obviously pretty big rivals anyway um, for Chelsea. It's, it, I think it depends who which fans you ask because there are still, even now among the Chelsea supporters, some fans who, who remain... Pretty big, you know. Pretty big supporters of Mourinho, and, and so they should. They won three titles. Yeah, right? I, I think you have to retain a, a fair sense of perspective. The the Judas is number one was a catchy line, but it is also true, uh, and that, that like all the best Mourinho quotes, there's a kernel of truth in there. Um, so I think it's it's hard to see him coming back now because once you go to Spurs, that is the red line for ninety five percent of Chelsea fans. But it also depends what he does at Spurs. If he if he tanks them, he could be a Chelsea legend again. <laughs> Secret agent, yeah. I, I mean, the thing is about Reno, and, and certainly the Chelsea fans' reaction to him, is I always found quite amusing when Reno would uh, launch barbs from, from Old Trafford and Chelsea fans would take great exception to it. And it's like, 
hang on, that's one of the reasons why he liked him when he was Chelsea manager. I think when he's when he's your manager, that us against them is what you love. And of course, for everyone else in the league, you you can't stand it. I, for one, am glad he's back in some shape or form. Um, I hope we see more of the old Mourinho, the one that, that, that has that sort of personality, that sort of cheeky sense of humour, rather than the kind of real miserable one that... that not so much the Chelsea second spell. I think that's been overplayed, how things sort of went wrong there. It was a, a very short, sharp uh, decline, and he was gone in four months. But let's not forget he won the title the same year he was sacked. I think Mar- the Marino we saw at United was almost unrecognisable uh, from the character we saw. He just never seemed to enjoy what he was doing, which was bizarre because he thought this is the, the, jo- the job he supposedly wanted, but he never seemed to really sort of give that impression that he was enjoying his work. He's so living out of a suitcase in Manchester yeah, as well though. Was I think not, that was not huge. easy, is it? I mean, yeah. I think being away from his family was a yeah. was a big big factor and and that's why of of all the clubs he was going to join it was going to be a London club. Um but there's no doubt about it the the game against Spurs on December the 22nd is going to be lively. Um, <laughs> I don't know which uh, which end which supporters are going to have the most to sing about. I think I think um, from what I've heard, there were the first uh, chants at the Etihad um, that were anti-Jose and some led to believe. There were a few, I can't repeat the language, really? but there was apparently, um, I didn't hear it myself. Yeah, but I heard that. You heard it, mm. yeah. There, there were some chants against him, so you can imagine what the away end are going to do. Well, there were only a few chants pro-Jose at, at, at West Ham on, on, on Saturday amongst the Spurs fans. It was very, very late on in the game. That's true. And then post-match, the only times they really chorus his name. So it may take a bit of adjustment on both sides. Well, you can imagine if Spurs win, then perhaps the Spurs fans, that might be what will start to yeah. really win quite a lot of them over. Yeah, we'll wait and see whether he's uh, the special one or the Spursy one. <laughs> so, Chelsea, <laughs> Chelsea head to Spain this week as we reach the penultimate match day in Group H of the Champions League. Blues looking to make good on the mess they made on match day one against Valencia by getting a positive result at the Mestalla. Uh, listener, you may well know what happened in the game by the time you hear this, so we'll keep our preview relatively brief. Uh, Chelsea, Ajax, Valencia all on seven points. Uh, Liam, I asked... Cesar Azpilicueta on Saturday if this was a must win or must not lose and he very firmly said no it's a must win uh, is he right do you think? I think that's the message Chelsea have to send out from the players from the manager but I, I think more realistically it's a must not lose the thing that was kind of lost amid the bonkersness of Chelsea Ajax um, was that Chelsea now have the head to head advantage over them even though they didn't win that game which clearly they had the opportunity to the, the most important thing was to make sure that if they are level on points in up with Ajax, they can get through because that's how Chelsea went out against Shakhtar and Juventus in 2012-2013. In, in they went out with 10 points because Shakhtar had the head-to-head. So that's the most important thing. Having said that, a win in Valencia would ease an awful lot of nerves because even though Lille only have one point in this group so far, they have looked lively in different games and they've had spells in each game where they could have scored two or three goals. So they might be due uh, a shock and Chelsea will hope it's not at Stamford Bridge on match day six. They can take that completely out of the equation with a win against Valencia and also get a bit of revenge for probably the result that they feel was most unjust this season, which was the 1-0 at Stamford Bridge. 
Simon, you're going, aren't you? It's um, the home of paella, so you've got to have one while you're there. Um, <laughs> last time the t- food again. Last time the teams met, there was, there was yeah. a sense of, of tumult around Valencia. You know, they, the manager had gone, the players mm. refused to take part in the press conference. They went and won the game anyway. Looking at their results since, things seem to have picked up a bit. They'd won three in a row before they lost to an injury time goal against Betis on Saturday. Where, where can they hurt Chelsea? I think, like like most teams, where they can hurt Chelsea is that they are vulnerable to lapses of concentration, uh, whether it be in midfield where the two goals on, on Saturday came from Jorginho and Kovacic, both trying adventurous passes that were cut in midfield. And once you sort of pass beyond those two, then then you're suddenly at the back four. And it, there does seem to be also a real weakness on, on that left flank, as we discussed. Um, and occasionally Tamori, I'm a big fan of Tamori, don't get me wrong, but there, there's some, uh, some of his passing of late in the last six weeks or so has been... Certainly, in, the, in his own third, in his own areas, has been a bit. You know, if you put him, if you start to press him, he, he tends to give the ball away in, in dangerous areas. But I would actually flip it around and talk more positively about Chelsea. If you actually um, talk about, you know, in, in contrast to my piece about lack of wins against the big six, um, their big wins, you could say, arguably in the season, was away in Lille, and then more notably away in Ajax, which is their no no doubt about it, their outstanding result and outstanding performance of the season. So actually, I think whilst they're, when they're talking about this is a must-win, I think in the dressing room they're also thinking can win because they have done it in in the two away games so far. And the only other caveat, or sort of, well, the only other thing I'd add to this is this is the scene of where Lampard, during a period of of his Chelsea career, which was uh, going wrong under AVB, scored a goal. It ended up being a one-all draw. Um, Came off the bench, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I just think. I don't know. There's something in the script that Lampard's going to come back to Valencia and, and score. I thought you were going to say he's going to come on and score. There's something well, in the you, script. I'll tell you what, his body language on Saturday looked like someone that was about to come on and come on himself and, and make the difference. But yeah, no, I, I just think um, I think Chelsea would be well up for it. It's a big game for them after City to show that they can respond from, from that disappointing defeat. Um, Simon's mentioned there, Dom, about the best results, certainly in the Champions League, being away from home. Have you, have you got a theory as to why Chelsea's form at Stamford Bridge hasn't been particularly good so far? Well, I think he got his tactics wrong against Valencia first time round. I think he'd been hoodwinked into thinking three at the back was the future by the win at Wolves a few days earlier. Um, and it, just, it got exploited badly by Valencia on the break. Um, OK, look, Chelsea could have won the game, but... But the reality was that they looked. A, that was one of the occasions when they looked a bit naive, tactically this season. Um, Ajax was such such a frenzy, and we shouldn't forget that. You know, Ajax were four one up in that match, yeah. and and at that point things looked pretty grim. And they, you know, thankfully they they imploded with the, with the dismissals as well uh, and allowed Chelsea back in. Uh, maybe there's more pressure there. Maybe they have to be more proactive at, at Stamford Bridge. Maybe that that comes into it. Um, maybe there's an element of liking to play on the on the counter um, still when you're playing against sort of cagey European sides potentially as well. Maybe that helps them, um, Chelsea. I mean, um, but it's just part of a learning process. And it, you know, we we talk about the young players. We've got a young coach here as well. We've got a fellow who's only got a year's management management behind him, so he's going to make mistakes as well. Um, and he did against Valencia first time round and. In some ways, I suspect that will motivate him into making sure things are perfect for this one. Right, elsewhere in Chelsea news this week, the women's team had a thumping 6-0 win at Birmingham. Beth England and Drew Spence bag braces. Millie Brighton, Jisoo Young 
also on target. Five of the goals, absolutely magnificent. Emma Hayes, though, not impressed. She said she wasn't happy with the performance of the team. Uh, they're top of the table, unbeaten. They've dropped two points all season. They've conceded three goals. She's just trying to keep them honest. She hasn't got a genuine grievance, surely. No, I love Emma Hayes. I think Frank Lampard's only the second most charismatic Chelsea manager. <laughs> um, Emma's fantastic. Um, yeah, she's she's doing a great job. It was a bit of a down season for, for the Chelsea women last year. Certain circumstances, maybe outside their control, couldn't recover from from a slow start and maybe distracted by the Champions League run as well. But they look certainly focused now and they've got Sam Kerr to come in January as well. Yeah, definitely massive advantage not to have Champions League football this season for them. As for the men's academy and development sides, the under-23s drew one all at Wolves on Saturday. Time of recording their top of PL2, though Derby could replace them if they win on Monday night. And the under-18s through to the knockout stages of the Premier League Cup. They beat Arsenal. Two one, um, chaps. What can subscribers to the Athletic look forward to reading from yourselves on the site this week, Simon? You'll be doing something from Valencia, presumably, in a Q and A post match. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm still sort of uh, there's a plan it, plan A, and a plan B. It, it very much depends on on the result. But um, one of the things that I'll definitely be delving into at some point, even if it isn't the Valencia game, is this left back issue because I, I do think that is. The one of the sort of standout areas where, if you were looking as as Chelsea where to strengthen, I think that is a decision that Chelsea will have to take. Whether it be in January if the ban is is overturned or reduced, sorry, or uh, next summer. How about you, Liam? Got a big interview with Branislav Ivanovic coming out. Spoke to him for almost an hour, basically going through his Chelsea career season by season. Poor Branislav was stuck speaking <laughs> to me for that long, but uh, lots of good stuff in there, and I think it I think it should be a good one for people. How did you find him? Because I was absolutely terrified of him the couple of times I had to interview him. Well, speaking to him on the phone is less intimidating. Um, but I did find him actually a, a little bit more expressive and even had a little bit of a poetic turn of phrase, which maybe he didn't have when he was a, a, a player at Chelsea. I think he's gotten a little bit more reflective as he's headed into his mid-30s, but it made for a good interview. And uh, I should quickly point out that Liam and I will also be understandably focusing on, on Frank Lampard against his old club, uh, West Ham um, for our joint read this week um, understandably it's going to be one where West Ham fans I'm sure will have plenty to sing about and um, I'm sure Chelsea fans they all become under scrutiny for what they sing um, so that's definitely something to be uh, explored as me and Liam will be doing later this week Yeah you rather suspect Frank Lampard might quite like to win that game um, Dom your brief is a bit wider than just Chelsea it encompasses all London football clubs so what's on your agenda this week? Well I suppose there's a bit of a Chelsea theme in as much as I'm, I'm going to Tottenham tomorrow um, to, to to do the, the Champions League game against Olympiacos um, I imagine there'll be some how 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 the locals take to Jose, um, element to that piece, but we'll, we'll see on the on the night. Um, yeah, it's a bit weird. Not it's not weird. Not going to Cobham every week, seeing Brian and his uh, <laughs> his cups of coffee, dreadful cups of coffee, but lovely bloke um, and his biscuits. Uh, yeah, but good. Old, I miss all that. But there you go. These guys will eat my biscuits for me. Brian is the guy who basically looks after the press pack when they come oh, to Cobham. He's been at Chelsea more than fifty. He's in his eighties. He's yeah. an absolute legend. There's he's probably a piece to be done on Brian. Oh, at some absolutely. Stage, Actually, yeah, it's a good shout. He got well, he got he got um, a cake or something. Was it presented by Bruce Buck last season? Yes, and he was frightfully embarrassed, <laughs> wasn't he? Pretty much. And a and a, and a silver plaque of yeah, his right. of the program of the first game he ever worked. Obviously, I went with the cake and not the <laughs> silver plaque. Sorry. <laughs> Food is the theme of this it podcast. Is, it is. 
Well, that's just about it for this debut episode of Straight Out of Cobham. Remember, a new show will drop every Tuesday morning wherever you get your podcasts. And you can get this podcast and many more, including David Ornstein and Mark Chapman's brand new show, which will delve deep into football's biggest stories by subscribing now at theathletic.com. You can even get a 40% discount right now by using the promo code UKPOD. My thanks to Dom, Liam and to Simon. That was fun. Should we do it all again next week? Sounds good. Bye for now.